Yeah, that's right. Talking with T-Bird is back, everybody. And we've got a great one today. Ian Rosenberger from Palau will join us in just a couple of moments. But first, let's bring in the lady who's tracking down all those survivors that are so hard to find. She's like able to find the hidden immunity idol without a clue. Here she is, the great Teresa T-Bird Cooper. <laughs> hey, Rob, without a clue. She's basically clueless. <laughs> That's you not what I mean. You basically nailed it. That's not you what I mean. You nailed it right there. <laughs> yeah. T-Bird, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, hanging in there. A lot of Big Brother stuff going on here on Rob is a podcast right now. Zoom school, so everything. Zoom school, and we got to throw in some Survivor. We can't let... The RHAP fans forget today about we have Survivor. Some Survivor. Yes, that's right. Yes. Okay. And T-Bird. a good one. We've got a good one today. Got a good one with Ian Rosenberger. Great work uh, with that. We'll uh, talk to him soon. But T-Bird, first off, that uh, what's been going on in your world? Well, not much of anything. Just I'm, I'm flying again. I went back in July. Things are a little bit different than they were, but that's to be expected. We're hoping to see the airline industry come back and you know, kind of wait and see what happens with that. But I'm blessed to be back at mm-hmm. work and I'm happy to be talking to you today and yeah. talking to a survivor that we've not seen on RHAP before or heard on RHAP. So that's exciting. So, yeah, life is good. T-Bird, can I ask you, are you noticing that our flights getting more packed? Like are people, more, more people going back to traveling in the couple of months that you've been back flying or has it been the same since you came back? No, actually, I've noticed that we've picked up, um, passenger loads have picked up. And because Delta's blocking that middle seat, and we're going to continue to do that, um, we're not full. I mean, normally before COVID, thankfully, Delta was usually full, 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 full. Mm-hmm. But now we're we're considered full because we're blocking that middle seat. So, yeah, I've seen a, a big change in the last couple of months since I've been back. So, that's good. Yeah, okay. That's actually, great. Because I got to fly in a couple of weeks that I'm going to go to uh, New York for my brother's wedding in October. And so I got to, I'm going to get on a Delta flight for that. Right. Not a paid product placement. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, but speaking of my brother, T Bird, uh, uh, let me tell you about our sponsor for today's episode of the podcast. Those are our friends over at Sunday Lawn Care. Listen to this, T-Bird. So I don't have a lawn. Uh, that I, I live in California. My house does not have a lawn. And so Sunday Lawn Care, they were coming on as a sponsor for the show. They are a company, GetSunday.com. They're going to come up with a custom lawn plan for you. They wanted me to try it out. I said, look, I, I don't have a lawn. I'd love to try it out. I got on. I looked at the website. I checked it out. They sort of they did like satellite imagery to look at, but there's no lawn there. So they said, well, it'd be great if you could you know, get somebody you know to give it a shot. 
so we could talk about yes! it. Yes. Yeah. We'd love that. We'd love that. We love that. So, Glenn and I would. Glenn would love that. Baby, I got some good news. No, no, T Bird. Listen to what I'm saying. So what? I got my brother. He's getting married. Oh. He just bought a house. And that he totally is trying to get started on his lawn. He doesn't have a lot of time to work on this. So I got him set up with Sunday. And he went online and he ordered out that they did the satellite imagery. Boop, boop, boop. And then they ended up like zooming in on his backyard, figuring out, okay, this is what your climate is. They sent him a spray that you spray on the lawn. And then he was telling me that then he sent a soil sample back to Sunday. They gave him a whole analysis of his soil and they're like telling him, okay, these are the exact things that we need to be doing to give you the most greenest and lush lawn possible. He's uh, blown away. Wow. That's, I thought you were telling me that it come out to the house, like going to cut the grass. So no. basically, no, it no. tells it's them how to manage, how to, yeah, it tells them how to manage his lawn. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Never Sunday, mind, honey. Forget that. <laughs> they okay, make <laughs> taking care of your lawn easier than ever. They have fortifying nutrients like seaweed extract, iron, and calcium to build plant strength and encourage root growing for a late season green up. And they sent you everything to your door with free shipping. Uh, they tell you what you need and they tell you why you need it. And you don't have to be an expert in the lawn care to understand. You don't need expensive equipment or a green thumb with Sunday. It's as easy as attaching a nozzle and watering your lawn. Lawn care could cost you hundreds of dollars. Now it takes less than 15 minutes. Best of all, $59. You don't need hundreds of dollars or a degree in soil science to have a great lawn. Just get Sunday. Visit GetSunday.com. Try a lawn care plan for as little as $59 after getting $10 off with promo code RHAP20 at checkout. Again, that's GetSunday.com, promo code RHAP20. All right, T-Bird, we've got Ian on the line. Let's go ahead and patch him in. And T-Bird, why don't you take it away? All right. If you believe your past life experiences, successes, or failures help shape the person you are to become, you are going to love today's guest. We saw this larger-than-life 23-year-old from Ambridge, Pennsylvania, standing at six feet, eight inches, who has been described by several of his castmates as kind and tenderhearted, which most definitely coincides with the passion he has shown in the past, helping children with mental and physical disabilities as a camp counselor at an early age, and then later as a dolphin trainer, again, helping children with disabilities as a dolphin-assisted therapist. Now, Fast forward to the primetime Emmy Award-nominated Survivor Palau Season 10. This season has arguably one of the most memorable cast ever. The usual 39 days of gameplay remain the same, but, what, but, but that is where a lot of the consistency stop. We saw 20 competitors begin the game, the most the series had ever seen. The players selected the tribes instead of the producers. We saw the losingest tribe of all time, a tribe of one, a season filled with great challenges, quite a few of those fire challenges, and one of the most epic and longest immunity challenges in Survivor history, lasting close to 12 hours and still talked about these 15 plus years later. So, 
It should be no surprise that Jeff Probst has said that this is one of his favorite seasons. And this all began with an alliance of three formed on the first night with a beautiful 29-year-old, sassy, optimistic, hilarious advertising exec from California named Katie, who had a knowledge of puzzles, a 40-year-old lieutenant with the New York City Fire Department named Tom, who brought endurance, and then there's today's guest, whose strengths would be his swimming, paddling, and his skill of knots. This would prove to be an alliance like we first saw in Season 3, Africa, with the same loyalty and commitment that Ethan, Lex, and Big Tom shared. How appropriate that Ethan would today be a part of our guest story. And he has been described by Ethan as innovative, resilient, and adventurous. Now, back to the Alliance of Three formed on the first night and the epic and longest immunity challenge on day 38. Yes, some say he simply stepped down, giving up the shot, and basically guaranteed $1 million. But he wanted to go out on his terms, saying friendship was more important. He feels his life would have gone much differently for his 23-year-old self had he won the game. Instead, he caught the eye of Ethan Zahn, former Africa winner, who took him to Africa, to Zambia, to run Two Oceans Marathon, a 36-mile run in Cape Town for grassroots soccer. And from there, our guest decided he wanted a platform to do good in the world. And that's where his life-changing work in Haiti is now being done. Thread International, now First Mile, where trash is removed from poor neighborhoods and turned into textiles. And his nonprofit, DoWork.org, accompany families in Haiti out of poverty through good, dignified jobs. Katie Gallagher has described our guest today as a, quote, lovable goof and the most extraordinary person she has ever met. And after my deep dive into our guest today, I would say I absolutely agree with her. Making his very first appearance on RHAP, we are joined by the guy who left a million dollars on the table but took with him his integrity and is now touching millions with his humanitarian and philanthropic work. It is my true pleasure and honor to introduce to you Ian Rosenberger. Ian, hey. how about that intro? Wow. I know. My gosh. One of the best. Impressive. And not the intro, just the length. I've, you did your research. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Ian, you've done a lot of, and Ian, you've done so many impressive things. I'm telling you, I, as I get to study and research, I learn so much about my survivor family and you are amazing. You really are. So I'm so glad you're talking with us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me here. And uh, I don't know about all of that, but uh, I, I, uh, I was, I, I always like being called the most exceptional person or what, I don't know what Katie said about me, but I'm sure it was nice. So Mm -hmm. I always like hearing that. Well, Ian, it's uh, really nice to catch up with you. A couple of weeks ago, we got to talk to Tom on a podcast, which I never thought uh, was going to happen. So we are really just uh, going in for a deep dive into Palau here in this series with T-Bird. Everything Tom said is is untrue. So, you know, we can start there. Okay. All right. Good to know. Good to know. Ian, uh, so... 
I learned a lot of things in that background uh, from T-Bird uh, about you. Uh, yeah, could you tell us in your own words a little bit of what you're up to now? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so so uh, T-Bird was exactly right. After the show, uh, I got the chance to head to Africa with Ethan and got really close with him. Um, and uh, what started as a race in South Africa for grassroots soccer, which is his uh, charity, as I'm sure you guys know, uh, turned into uh, a me really trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And, and Ethan's work with the poor and, and with folks in low-income communities uh, really uh, felt like the right place for me to be, but I just didn't really know how to get there. So uh, I got the chance to work with him for a while and then uh, started my first company, which was uh, a, actually a, a, a production company, but I was shooting video for nonprofits and that really wasn't it either. And then the earthquake happened in, in Haiti in 2010. And uh, I went down and spent some time taking pictures and, and um, selling those photos to raise some money and then started a nonprofit that revolves around employing the poor um, and making sure that people who uh, want to get uh, dignified work, which is everybody, have the chance to, to do that. And that turned into a business. And now I have the nonprofit and the business. And, and my business takes trash from low-income communities and we, we transform it into all sorts of products. We have our own direct-to-consumer line of products. Um, we make backpacks. It's called uh, Day Owl, and uh, we're in the middle of that now. So, uh, you know, I've I've got the chance to build a life on um, the people that I met on the show, and uh, you know, something totally unexpected because, as I'm sure you know, I don't do a lot of survivor interviews or survivor mm -hmm. talk or that type of thing. So it was, uh, it, you know, it's it's amazing how connected back to this thing that we all actually are. Yeah. And we really appreciate you being here. Uh, I know you don't do a lot of these, and uh, everybody is really excited to get the chance to catch up with it. What part of the world are you uh, working out of right now? Where, yeah, where am I quarantining? Yeah, uh, I am in. Uh, I'm in San Francisco. Uh, I have a wife and a 14 month old. Uh, we, oh, congratulations! With yes, thank you. She's in the middle of her uh, of her first fever right now. So uh, oh. insult. COVID is, uh, is 2020 has been quite a year, um, mm -hmm. but I'm from Pittsburgh. My family's still there and my business is actually based there. So uh, we operate out of a neighborhood in Pittsburgh called Homewood. So before COVID, I was traveling back and forth a bunch, um, but now we are decidedly sheltering in place. Yeah. So Ian, let's start with Survivor because it looks like that Survivor was not in your original wheelhouse. You wanted to try out or did you try out for the amazing race? I did. Wow. Good job. Yeah. I tried out for, for, for race and I was really, actually, I had not watched either of the shows and, and race, uh, was sounded fun. I had a, a, a climbing partner of mine that, and, and camping partner of mine that had asked me to, um, trout for the amazing race. And I said, yes, and put together a video or sorry, we put the vacation and we went down to kind of the local TV station in Pittsburgh and recorded ourselves. And then, you know, it's, thank you very much. Didn't hear from them for six months or so. And then I got a phone call and it was, uh, I can't remember if it was from Lynn, the casting director or not. Uh, but somebody, somebody from survivor gave me a call and said, would, you know, we saw your, your video for race. Would you be interested in survivor? So yeah, it came to me completely by chance and I had never seen survivor when they called. So, um, it was back in the day when, when that was still possible. Mm -hmm. So what happened to your climbing partner? They just uh, kicked him to the curb. Her and I, yeah, <laughs> oh. I, yeah, I, uh, I, 
I, yeah, that's exactly what happened. And I remember I gave the audition in, it was at KDKA in Pittsburgh. And I gave the audition and I just told a story about this time I was in Puerto Rico on an island and uh, I uh, had the opportunity to go nude. And I was by myself. And, mm-hmm. and I did. And I, 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 well, I don't remember, but I think you only had like two minutes to tell the story. So sure. I kind of talked the whole time. And then they were like, okay, time's up. <laughs> and I was like, oh crap, she didn't get the chance to talk at all. Like, and she's then, boring, lose her. <laughs> she doesn't even talk. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, and then, yes, yeah, sure enough. This guy's you know, a nudist. I'm, she's boring. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And next thing you know, I'm, you know, on the show. Yeah. So, Ian, so you had never seen seasons one through nine. Did they send you videos to watch? Because you played like a survivor pro when you got out there. Uh, thank you. I didn't know I was playing like anything when I was out there. Uh, I just know that. So at the auditions, like at the, so what they did is they sent me, they, they called me, asked me to come and then they sent me to LA with, you know, where they do all the, they bring everybody in the hotel for, I don't know if they still do that, but, but for, you know, a, a week or so, and you're not allowed to leave and all that. Um, and so I, they made us watch like four or five different seasons while we were there. Like we had to sit mm-hmm. in rooms together by ourselves. And I remember there was a room with like a bunch of good looking people. And then a room with like the characters. <laughs> and I was definitely in the character. <laughs> and uh, was that a coincidence or they re- you really think know. they broke it up that way? I think they broke it up that way, mm-hmm. I, but like, you know, I, who knows? Um, and I also remember every morning we'd come down to breakfast and I was on like the breakfast shift yeah. that had that Tom was in. And he, w- he was wearing his, uh, his, like a 9-11 t-shirt. And, and we would always just, you know, give the nod as we walked past each other thinking, okay, like we're definitely here for the same reasons. And we still talk about it. Like that was the beginning of our relationship. And, and to the point where when we got to the island and we, we started our alliance within like six seconds of being out there, mm-hmm. uh, it, it was because of that. We, met, we both mentioned, oh, you know, remember, remember me from breakfast every day. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, Ian, I got to throw this in because you have just this is great timing. So, yes, that is what I heard from even from Katie. She said that the three of y'all from the very beginning. I mean, I think this is the most beautiful thing. What she said, she said that your hearts were connected immediately from the very beginning. She she did. (laughs) She actually referenced, she referenced at the casting process with you. And she said her very first impression of you, that you were tall, skinny, but had really nice legs. You're really muscular legs. And and this is what she said. She said, we were on the bus. We were on the bus to meet with the big wigs. And she said, he fell asleep on the bus. And she said, I was so excited. I was so excited. And I looked over and he was asleep. So anyway, I I thought that that was, that was, (laughs) but she remembered, she remembered so many fun things about you. So we're going to have fun sharing those. Now I got to ask you this. Yeah. Go Go ahead. I was just going to say, you said you were in, you thought the character room. Was there anybody else cast on Palau that was in the character room with you? Uh, uh, yes. Hold on. Let me think. Katie was def- definitely there. Yeah. Katie was me? in the character room. Yeah. It was me, her. Uh, I'm trying to think who else was in that room. James from my season was in that room. Oh, okay. Uh, Willard. Thanks. 
Yes. Uh, from who, who, by the way, I, I don't know if you see, you've seen the immunity idol from yes, my season, yes, but yes. it looks exactly like it. <laughs> Have you ever seen that T-Bird? Do you, do you know what he's talking about? I don't, but exactly. I, read, I, I yeah. read that. I'll have to look that up. Yeah, yeah. that's a uh, <laughs> that's a good one. Um, <laughs> was yeah. it just all the people that were from uh, Oolong? That those were the people that they ended up casting <laughs> them in the good-looking room. Is that what it is? And the characters were on Karor. Uh, you know, it's so funny that you said that because it definitely felt like that whenever we got out there. When we did the schoolyard pick them, we looked around and it was like, it's like this, oh, like, I'll, we were I'll like, just yeah. pick all the people that were in my room from the breakfast. <laughs> I know it's an island of misfit <laughs> toys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you know. That's what it took to kick their asses. So I guess it worked. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> All right, so you mentioned it. So Rob, he just mentioned the schoolyard pick. So I got to ask this. So when you were doing the schoolyard pick, you picked Katie first because we know your hearts were bonded. So Katie tells it. And then Katie picked Tom for the reasons that you just um, were saying about Tom. Um, but I'm curious. Why did Karen, in your opinion, why do you think Karen chose Willard a 56-year-old man that, that looked like the immunity idol as compared to 23-year-old Jonathan Libby, the young guy. You know, it's so... T-Bird, I'm really glad that you're narrating it because I actually forgot that I, that's who... I didn't remember that I picked Katie. And I think... Was it because we had to pick a male? I, each one had to pick a yeah. female and then a male, right? Yeah. yeah. So I picked, I, I picked her because we were female male and we had already agreed like whatever's going to happen, we're going to stick together. Great. I don't... I think Karen and Willard had hung out and talked like they had set up their, their challenge. And I don't think that Karen had said a word to Jonathan. In fact, I don't remember Jonathan saying much of anything to anybody. Like he was kind of a, kind of a quiet guy. And I imagine that's why he ended up. Nobody liked Jonathan. That's the story that is always told that uh, he jumped out of the boat and then nobody connected with him. That nobody liked it, that he tried to dive in and try to get the immunity idol. You know, I, I don't, I don't, I, I haven't probably said 16 words to him, you know. Other and then than, nobody's hey, ever heard you? from him ever again. Yeah. And I imagine, you know, he, he seemed like a nice enough guy. T-Bird, see if you can find were, Jonathan Libby next. There were, right. there were two people that jumped off that boat. Yeah. And like really early. And one of them was Stephanie and one of them was Jonathan. Yeah. And they, like, I, I remember kind of working my way. I was in the middle of the boat. I remember being like, hey, nice to meet you. And like using every opportunity to get to the front of the boat, thinking like, if we're going to jump off this thing, like I want to get as close as front to the front as possible. And I remember them jumping off and being like, oh, they're, they're dummies. That mm-hmm. <laughs> We're still like a mile and a half from shore. Yeah. And then, yeah, uh, John, I guess Jonathan was one of them. I, I felt bad for him and Wanda. You're not getting a chance, especially Wanda. Man, she wanted to play so badly. Yeah. Ian, well, Wanda lives on. She has a very special place of honor here on the podcast. We do a weekly Survivor song parody competition. It's called <laughs> The Wandoff. We honor her every week. That my one of my co-hosts, Josh Wiggler, that he is the ultimate Wanda stan. So Wanda has a very special place in Rob's podcast. And we would love That's to, great hear to hear any stories or recollections that you have of your time with Wanda on the island? I remember Wanda being one of the nicest people I have met yes. throughout this entire process of all the thousands of people that we've met. Um, I also remember being a massive fan of the show. And you could t- just tell that Wanda brought the same amount of enthusiasm to the hour and a half that I got to spend with her mm-hmm. than, than she did every single thing in her life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
she just was that person. She was so nice. And, and I also remember her, she's from Pennsylvania, I yes. think too, right? Um, from Amish country, from Lancaster. Uh, and she, uh, I remember her mentioning that and us bonding over that. She was, she's just a very, very sweet person. And, uh, and also, I, I do remember her singing being like, oh man, we really missed out on having this lady around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she'd been so much entertainment. Uh, she, was, she really was. Yeah, yeah. And then I, I also remember uh, watching them go off into the sunset and Jonathan being quiet next to her and Wanda just like taking the moment. Yeah. She really like took the spotlight in that particular moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we got hungry and, you know, hell started. <laughs> what do you mean hell started the game yeah, yeah the game and i i, I th- those first seven days were I, I i mean i think i lost most of my weight in, mm-hmm. in that amount of time I, I we just nobody could get their shit together we couldn't get a fire going it was before we split uh, like the, the some of the group was like very clearly like you know just like it was like the it was all it was the oolong they were just like not necessarily some of them weren't necessarily yeah uh, you know, all in. So I, it, it was just uh, painful. And I hate coconuts. And I hate coconuts then. And I hate them now even more. And I got stung by a jellyfish, which wasn't on camera. And, you know, all the things that you're like, why the hell did I do this? Like, this was a dumb idea. <laughs> yeah, I should have been on the amazing race. What am I doing here? Or, yeah, excuse exactly. me, race, as she called it. Yeah, I had a good job. I was living in Key Largo. Like, I really enjoyed, like, I, I, I worked with dolphins every day. Like, why the hell did I decide to do this again? <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about your experience with the dolphins? Because they, I feel like that the Survivor really loves to give you a person that has an unusual job description, and then right. all the fans they just run with that of uh, what right. that means to them. I saw that uh, I was laughing. Uh, I, I laughed out loud a couple of weeks ago. I saw on Twitter that somebody had said, uh, I forget if it was a, a, a T Bird or somebody else on Twitter said, "Hey, can you get?" Dolphin boy Ian on the podcast, and you replied, uh, "That's Dolphin Man." Okay, <laughs> <laughs> that is right. I yes. stand by it. Yes, uh, I love that. So I love that. <laughs> but could you just talk about that? How, how did you get involved working with dolphins? Uh, so I got the chance in college. I went down to the Everglades with a bunch of kids for spring break, and we like paddled around the Everglades for uh, a week you know, acted like pirates. And then, um, we stopped on the way back at this place where you could, you know, have a swim with the dolphins. Right. And, uh, we didn't have a hotel. So we, we had a, a, a trailer of canoes and we turned all the boats over and we slept in the boats and then the place opened up. And the next morning we walked in and we said, we want to swim with the dolphins. And we, you know, as we were leaving, I was like, man, this would be a great place to work. So, um, after school, I got in touch with them and, and they set me up and they have a, a side of their business called Island Dolphin Care. And um, they uh, were good enough to take me on and tr- start to train me. And I remember being there for like maybe, maybe, maybe a month. And I remember taking the call or uh, saying, hey, congratulations, you're on the show, like for real all the way um, while I was walking around the lagoon or where, you know, after work one day and, and having to walk in the next morning and being like, ah, I got to go do this thing. And and to their very great credit, they they did they still do incredible work with kids with special needs. They they use dolphins as like rehab assists to help kids become more uh, verbal or or work with occupational or physical therapy, and uh, and they still do the work and it's still down there. Um, but I just I, it was very very brief, but um, I really think of it fondly still. And um, but yeah, once that once that call came, like my, my life changed. 
Did you ever go back to the Dolphins after Survivor? I yeah, I did. I went down and, and visited and and um, said, said hi, stay in touch with a couple people there. They were all very kind and very cool. They watched the show and and um, you know after the show though, especially at that time, like it was still it was still a lot of people. I, I you I mean Rob, you you know for sure. And Tiber, I don't remember when you were on, but but um, the the there that Before time us. it was still yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. So you guys both know it was a really big deal. Like mm-hmm. at the time, it felt like you know so much. It was like you're getting tossed into a river, uh, raging rapids, right? And and just trying to keep your head above water. And you know, a lot of it's fake and a lot of it's real in terms of like what's out there for you, and what opportunity sits. And some people take the tack of like trying to be, you know, quote unquote famous, and other people take the tack of like how can I use this? And I really just remember gravitating towards Ethan in that time, and and kind of. Once the show uh, happened, he gave me, he called me actually and said, Hey, I like the way you played the game. And here's this thing I'm doing. And if you want to get involved, let me know. And, uh, and I did. And, and that actually changed everything. How did he know that you were going to be somebody who was up for this? He, he, that Ethan is just so good that he can like spot the people who are, <laughs> all right, this guy, this is, he's not like, uh, somebody who's out there just to be a celebrity. I can tell that this guy is a humanitarian. I'm going to give him a call. Uh, you give Ethan so much more credit than he deserves. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, let me jump in here. So, Ian, I was Af- actually on Africa with Ethan. Okay. So, so awesome. that was a, the season I was on. So, Ethan told me that Jenna, the the girl he was dating at the time, yeah, Jenna yeah, yeah. is also from Pittsburgh. And she so is, yep. Jenna's yeah, Jenna's from Pittsburgh, and I think that plus, you know, the way you what you did at the end of the game. And again, there was a lot of correlation, like I said, between you, Tom, and the beautiful Katie compared to Ethan, Tom, and Lex. And you coming down and doing what you did, Jenna being from Pittsburgh, you know, I think he was saying it kind of just all revolved around, you know, him reaching out to you. That makes total sense. I didn't know that, but yeah, that, that makes sense. Ethan was coming back and forth to Pittsburgh a lot then, and I was living there. Um, I moved to New York not too long after that, after the show came out, but um, he, uh, he, that, I remember meeting, meeting up with him and with Jenna then. And uh, yeah, he, he, we got to be friends. It was just like that straightforward. And, and you know, you guys know Ethan, so you know he's, he's a great guy. And um, now he's a hermit in New Hampshire. But, you know, back then he was a you know, very outspoken, very out there in the, in the world person. But, um, he, uh, he's just did great work. And, and, you know, when you're, remember too, I was really young, I, you know, I'm 30, I just turned 39 last week and the show, I, I was 23. So it, it's such a long time ago. And, and, uh, when you're 23 years old, like you really kind of have the world by the ass. Like there's, there's, there's not a lot, uh, there's not a lot Is it a good thing or a bad thing to have the world by the <laughs> to ass? Have the world by the ass. I, I, I think like, it's a, I think it's a the world thing. is moving and you're like right behind it or that uh, <laughs> or, or, or... <laughs> yeah exactly. I want to understand the metaphor yeah <laughs> um so it was just having that open road ahead of me and, and somebody coming along and saying like hey do you want to come to Africa I work in South Africa and there's this race there I'd never run an ultra marathon I'd never done any of those things and and so uh, I said yes and you know saying yes has been kind of the the through line of everything that's happened since the show. And Ian, you've run a lot of races after that too. Didn't you run across the Sahara desert, uh, bringing awareness to do work? T-Bird, my and you goodness. Ran the- I'm so impressed with you. Ian, you needed a restraining <laughs> order after this. 
She knows too much. You got to shred your mail. That's the key. (laughs) Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I did. I started, a, I started running ultra marathons. Uh, I started using uh, races to raise money. Uh, and then I, I, ra- I ran a race, not across, it was called the Great Sahara Race, but because of, the, at the time, everything going on in Egypt, the Arab Spring was happening. So they canceled the Great Sahara Race that year and they moved it to Jordan, um, to the Middle East. And, and so I ran a race there and I think it was 2014. Um, and I used that money to raise, or used the race to raise money for Haiti. And everybody, I came back from that race and everybody said, my gosh, you know, we, we raised, I think my buddy and I together, we raised like 50K. And everybody wow. said, this is great. We love this. But like, why are you running in the Middle East for Haiti? Like, that's stupid. And they were right. So uh, <laughs> I started, a, I started a, an ultra marathon the next year called the Run Across Haiti. And so now we still do it. And mm-hmm. uh, it's 200 miles across Haiti. And now we raise, yeah, 300, 300,000 so, or so dollars a year. Ian, the thing that uh, I want to understand is, so the earthquake happened in in Haiti. How did you get involved? You said you took pictures there. Uh, yeah. That was that was that a work thing that s- sent you there, and then you got involved because you were there. No, uh, that's a great question. No, I was uh, I was I had come back. So I had I told mentioned that I started my first company was a production company, and I started in two thousand eight, um, right around the time that the world was falling apart. Uh, the first time around, first time, and yeah, and. Uh, and the mortgage crisis happens. I actually had been, I was shooting a, a woman who was trying to swim across the Atlantic Ocean. That's a much longer story. We can talk about it on another podcast, yeah. but um, the, the boat sunk and, and the company folded and I had to kind of tuck tail and, and come home. And I got a job at a really terrific little marketing, mom and pop marketing agency in Pittsburgh, but you know, it just wasn't for me. And I was playing dodgeball with some friends and we had gone for beers afterwards and Anderson Cooper comes on the TV and says uh, that that this earthquake happened in Haiti. And, uh, you know, I remember thinking to myself like, oh man, like everybody, you know, like what a shame. And, you know, 350,000 people died, which in COVID time, you can start to appreciate just how many people that is. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, the, I woke up in the middle of that night and I just remember thinking like, God, man, what a shame. Is like that the best you have? So I went down and uh, that's, that's what started the whole next chapter. What did you find when you got there as somebody who is showing up in a disaster area? Like how do you even begin to uh, like lend your services to everything? First of all, I'm really glad these are the questions because I, I feel like you're going to ask me questions about the show and I'm not going to know the answers, so I'm just going to make them up. Um, oh, that's but <laughs> that's fine too. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, well, definitely, I'll definitely do that. But I really appreciate this because I actually know what I'm talking about here. Uh, I think the first question is like, how when you say like lend your services, like at that time, you know, I think I was like 28 now, 27, and I just remember thinking like, I don't even know what my services are. <laughs> like, what yeah. is it that I'm able to do? And I did the exact thing that I now tell people not to do, which is just kind of just run to the fire. Um, you know, it, now I tell people like, look, do some research, figure out which organizations are actually doing good work, which ones are there. You know, we call it like whites in shining armor or like, you know, uh, poverty porn. Like, you know, the, the, the people who are just going to kind of look good mm-hmm. and do something that makes them look good are the people that are actually getting involved in work that matters. So uh, in that first week, I didn't really know what I was. And f- very frankly, like me taking pictures, I, I was probably in, in, the, in the wrong camp. Um, but, it, but I got the chance to meet some people and, and I was really lucky to get the chance to stay with a guy who was kind of now my, my Haitian dad. 
Uh, this guy, his name's Ernso Jean-Louis, and he's got a, a house down there. And people were still sleeping outside of their houses. There were still aftershocks. And he took me in. I, I had a professor in college that hooked me up with, with his family. And I went down not knowing where I was going to stay and what I was going to do, and, and then just spent a week. And the cool thing about Ernso, and I'll be forever grateful, is that Ernso just walks into anywhere he is in the world and starts asking questions. He's totally no fear. And in a place like Haiti, after the earthquake, you know, it was a war zone. It, there's just no other way to describe it. It was, it was you know, not only 350,000 dead, but a million and a half homeless. And, you know, everybody's seen the pictures, but we forget that it was the single largest natural disaster um, in, in modern history and certainly in the Western Hemisphere's history. And there was this stunning silence from the rest of the world. Yeah, people came and came together for that period of time. But um, I just remember feeling like this place is so messed up. There's so much to do here. And the people here are so freaking incredible. Like, why is nobody continuing to pay attention to this? And so I just started going back down and asking questions. And I spent like two years, like just talking with people who were, I would, I would work all week in Pittsburgh. I would uh, take, I had no money. I would take all my money and spend it on plane tickets to get down there. I would stay at Ernso's. He'd let me stay for free. Um, I would just hang out for, for the week and, and talk with folks. And over two years of asking people, what it is they thought they needed for this place to get fixed, um, you know, I started coming up with what I wanted to do. It took time. So what were some of the things that you did to try to help fix the situation there? So I had a, uh, I, I, can't, I met a kid on maybe my second trip um, who uh, he came to me and, and asked directly for help. Uh, his name's uh, Tassie and, and uh, he had a tumor on it. He was growing on his face, on his jaw. And it was you know, the type of thing that had he been born in the States, um, he would have certainly had fixed early on. Right? The, type of, the type of thing that you, know, you get checked out and it's, oh, this is the thing, let's get it removed before it becomes a bigger deal. Well, most times in low-income communities all over the world, you know, those problems become much bigger problems, way faster. And, and because there's no access or infrastructure, um, people have a lot of trouble getting them fixed. So I, I was coming across that constantly because people were poor, they lacked access. So I, I figured the first thing I could do is to help offer that access. And so I did. And uh, we got uh, tasks figured out. Um, uh, my friends and I raised some money for him. Uh, and we got him up to the States for a surgery. And then you know one thing led to another. And we, I started... The org became Team Tassie. Um, and then eventually it became, we changed the name to work and Tass now has a son and uh, his son's name is Elijah Ian. He's my, like, he's my godson. And, and uh, he's just one of the, one of the best. And, and actually, you know, Tassie is actually the only work family member that actually now lives in the States. Everybody else is in Haiti. Our staff is Haitian. Um, all the money we raise goes to, uh, to, goes to the ground. So Tassie was kind of the first. Um, and then now we, we took that lesson, like, how do you give people who don't have access access to to dignity and to you know and what does that mean? And so, in talking to people, you know, I realized that dignity equals work, the ability to put food on the table and make sure you have a roof over your head. And uh, it, so that's what I try to do is help people get get access to work. So we started doing that block by block in a neighborhood in in Haiti, and now we serve about a thousand people. Um, and and the interesting thing that was the big twist for me was was that it was right next to the largest landfill in the country. And um, I saw the same two things in that community that I see everywhere I travel with Ethan or otherwise, which is a lot of poverty and a lot of trash. And then the trash became a whole, whole new thing. 
In, wow. Can I ask you, wow. uh, in terms of your work with Haiti, uh, how is that affected by the situation there with COVID? Are, are they experiencing a uh, really bad outbreak there? Yeah, they are. Um, and and we the work's now expanded. We work in Haiti and Honduras and Taiwan, um, and uh, we we do a lot of work in trash in Indonesia and India now. So the the the, the what's interesting about COVID is that. The same thing happens in those countries that always happens. And, and COVID has disproportionately affected black and brown communities, not just in places like Haiti, but in the United States as well. And, and uh, in Haiti in particular, you know, I think Haitians are looking at it saying like, look, we just want like a functioning government and the ability to send our kids to school. Same. And uh, yeah, right, right. Exactly. I tell my friends that all the time in Haiti. It's like, wow, we just look like you guys now. Like our government looks just like yours. Uh, but but I think that, that um, you know, they just wanted the opportunity to have access. And, and so we've had the chance to do that. And it just took time. It's taking time. But COVID has been uh, a, a, just a kind of a silent killer because the access to testing is non-existent. The government doesn't mm-hmm. want to acknowledge it very similarly to here. Um, you know, but they're even worse off than we are from a testing perspective. So... We put in, we put a lot of protocols in place. We taught people how to how to make sure that um, you know they kept the virus away, how to shelter in place, what quarantining was like, and you know our families are awesome. They they took the very small amount of direction that we gave them, and they just ran with it like they always do. And Ian, I know you have a, a young baby girl that's just a year old, but before COVID and your and your baby girl, were you going down to Haiti very often? Yeah, yeah, we were. Um, I was on the road a lot, and and um, and and you know, w- once we get back from COVID, it w- will be again. But uh, yeah, I, you know, got the chance. I was fortunate enough to learn the language, and and my wife and I got engaged in Haiti, and um, you know, it just has a very special place in our hearts. So, so the work there is has grown a lot, and we expect, you know, the run across Haiti's become this just really amazing thing that we get to do now, and because of COVID, actually. Instead of we had to cancel it this year, and and because uh, it's in May, and uh, and so we did a, a virtual one, and we actually usually have like fifty or sixty runners, and this year we had two thousand runners from all over the world that joined us virtually, um, which was awesome. How do you do it virtually? Uh, we just so everybody committed to running two hundred miles over the course of May. Uh, they logged their miles on Strava. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we'd come together and do, uh, and do like, you know, zoom calls, um, rooting each other on each week. And then we had a number, not all 2000 people finished the 200 miles across the month, but, um, every person raised some money, um, that they put into the, into the, into the fund. And then, um, every time we'd have a person that would finish their 200, we, you know, get on zoom and celebrate them. And actually, you know, now we're going to take that and start doing it. We hope every year is we'll have the run in, in Haiti. You know, I really believe that like Haiti's not a place to be pitied or feared. And the reason we decided to do, and that goes for every low income community all around the world. And the reason that we decided to do the run was because I think that there's no better way to see a country than at five miles an hour. And, and so you get the chance to run from one side of the country to another. And I think virtually now we'll do that and be able to, at least in some way, shape or form for the people who can't take a week off of work and you know, leave kids behind and all that stuff. We'll give them the chance to, to run alongside our team on the ground and we'll connect them virtually now every year. Rob, this is, and this is why I love to have guests like this that, that a lot of people don't know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. This is, this is. Yeah, well, usually that, uh, they're doing nothing. That, that's why <laughs> we didn't hear it's, from them. Is that beautiful. true? Do a lot of people do nothing after the show? Uh, 
they try to get back on the show. We talked with Keith Famey from Australia, and he's doing amazing work. And right, you know, now here you come in here doing all this stuff. Now, I know you said we might have to refresh your memory on Survivor. So I got a feeling sure, this is yeah. something we might not have to remind you about. Tell us about that million dollar decision to come off the pole 11 hours and 55 minutes telling Tom you want him to take Katie. Tell us about that. <laughs> yeah, this is like the thing that is no matter what I do, I can't get off my, the, the first thing that happens when you type Ian Rose murder in Google. <laughs> uh, I, I, uh, yeah, that was uh, one of the stranger days of my life. Um, the, the, the whole, uh, you know, I, I remember the, I remember afterwards, somebody, mm-hmm. and I can't remember who showed me a sketch. I might've been the, it was somebody from the challenges team showed me a sketch of the challenge and what, you know, as they kind of pitched it. And I remember it was called Baba Booey. Mm-hmm. And at the time, you know, cause Stern was, it was so, po- so popular at the time. And, uh, and I remember looking at it and being like, this is the most diabolical thing that somebody can come up with. <laughs> like, like, you know, standing the way that we had to on these buoys. And, and, uh, and I, I just also remember God, that day was so weird because we had, we had done a challenge. If I remember this right, we'd done a challenge. I lost. It didn't win. I and we had just voted. No, Jen had just gone because of the tiebreak. Jen and I had to make a fire. And, I, you know, as soon as Jeff was like, oh, you have to make a fire against Jen. Um, you know, I was like, I'm in good shape. Cause I, I don't remember Jen making too much fire. Um, and, and so, you know, after that, uh, getting the chance to, you know, be the, in the final three. Um, I just remember it you know, had all come to a head. Like it was just a terrible feeling. It, remember I was 23 mm-hmm. and fairly idealistic. So like it, if I had done the show now, I don't know that I'd have played it the same way because I took it so seriously. It felt so much like real life. It's but just at 23 years old. Like you have this, like, I don't know what Tom was then 60, 65. How old is he now? Uh, <laughs> Tom, um, was four, Tom was 40 I, yeah right Tom was 40 he, he, lo- he didn't look a day he didn't look a day under 53 <laughs> um, but I just remember you know that that day being like I just feel like a total asshole I feel like a total like I everything I was you know like raised to be I felt like I just let so many people down mm-hmm. who were gonna watch this at home and be like you know, God, this guy's like a total kind of, kind of a dick. Mm-hmm. And, and like that just didn't, you know, some people look at that and they're like, that's the way I want to be portrayed. And, and, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. And I think honestly, if I'd be playing the game today, I probably like, if I was in the same situation, I have to tell you, like, I probably would have not like made a different decision, but I think I probably would have approached the game differently um, as like a 39 year old man, as opposed to like a 23, 23 year old boy. Um, and I, uh, yeah, I just, um, I just, that led to the challenge. We got on the, got onto those things and I was like, man, what am I going to do here? Like we, I'm, we got on the Mm -hmm. pole and maybe two hours in, I was like, F it. Like I'm going for it. I will, I'll, I'll stay here till sunrise. Like I can do this for the next, you know, however long it takes. And I remember calculating my mind being like, I bet it's around like six o'clock. Like sunrise is probably at six. Like. It, I, so to me, that was like, if I can go like 15 hours, cause I think we were like maybe three or four hours, maybe 15 or 16 hours. I will, I can, you know, I'll just bury this guy and, just, and you know, take it and I'll win the million. Um, take Katie and, 
and I, I was for sure and I, that I, I thought I could definitely be Katie. I didn't think, I didn't know that I could be Tom. So I was going to vote Tom off. Um, and then, you know, one hour ticks away, two hours tick away, uh, another, you know, five hours tick away. And I just remember it was like being on drugs. Like you just felt so strange. Like everybody's quiet. There's like 60 people watching you. Cause like everybody at home doesn't get to see that. But like mm-hmm. there's a huge barge that a fool of people that are all dead quiet filming you. And, uh, you know, they're, they didn't expect it to go more than three or four hours. So they're all like, what the hell are we going to do? Um, you know, trying to change out batteries on cameras. And, uh, and then I remember there being a period of like six hours or so where it was just dead quiet. Like nobody said a word. And, uh, it was during that time that I was like, what, like, what's this going to be after this? Like, what do I want to be once this whole thing's over? And, uh, I just remember being like, I don't, whatever this is, whatever, however I played, like, I don't want to be that. And, uh, and you know, it just kind of came to me and I was like, you know, like, maybe I'll, this is the time, like maybe this is the moment that is the right way to do this. Like how do I maintain some dignity, dignity in this thing? Mm -hmm. And that just felt like the right move. And who knows if it was or not, but I'll tell you, like I would make it now like a million times over. Yeah. Uh, This is interesting, you know, getting to hear you talk about this. Like I I don't hear any sort of regret in terms of like, uh, because I think it's framed like, Oh, Ian gave up that he had, you know, he would have won or he could have, he could have won. And I feel like that I've sensed that that's what your frustration is, is where it's sort of like the way it's presented as opposed to the actual decision that you made. Yeah. I mean, people can think what they want. I don't mind. I, I think that, uh, but I do think that, that, um, yeah, it, it just, I'll tell you, like, if I, if I think about what happened afterwards in the mm-hmm. show, like if I don't want a million dollars at 23 and like my level of maturity, uh, I would have probably messed it up. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like I would have, you know, I, I blew through the money that I made, you know, yeah. like, like yeah, it was, my parents were, I have terrific family and like, they were just like, well, this is your call. Like you do what you do. And so rather than them be like, you know, you got to invest this, you got to do that. I just like just went out and had a good time. And, and, you know, I had won a car. I, I sold the car and bought a F-150 pickup truck. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, you know, this is before I knew what climate change was. And, uh, you know, just, just like had a great time. And, and I think if I had won the million, I think I'd have ended up slightly more dickish. And I, I mean, I think maybe I already <laughs> am a dick, but like, I think this, I probably would end up even more. That's what one. Tom told us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Ian, so Ian, if you ha- if y'all hadn't negotiated to come down, yeah. I know Tom says he would have one hundred percent beat you. Who do you think would have lasted the longest? Because you just said you'd have gone to at least sunrise. Yeah, and I actually remember, and th- this is I remember. Uh, I'm I was like I'm going to start seeing if I can play with his head, and I remember saying like uh, Tom. I think it's actually on camera. Tom said something along the lines of like, I'm feeling okay. And I remember saying like, I'm just getting started. And I remember like, I, they cut to him and I remember him, like there was kind of a look on his face, like, Oh man, like this can be a long night. And I just remember being like, I am half this guy's age. I am a third of this guy's age. And I, uh, I, um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I can definitely do this. Like there's no problem. Like I didn't, I didn't feel, I felt like if we had to, I could have taken it all the way. Um, and, and I also felt like, uh, I felt like 
that was it was mine to mine to win at that point. Um, all I had to do was stay on this thing long enough, and I would beat him. And like, still to this day, like I run ultra marathons. Like you know, I generally now I maybe because of that night put myself through it, you know a lot of pain. And now it's like, oh no, I definitely could have done that. I think what's strange is like, like for what? At the end of the day, it's like, who cares? Like, I don't know. It's a million bucks, and a million bucks is a lot of money. It's life changing money, like for sure especially when you're as young as I was. Um, but I just remember like getting emails afterwards uh, from people, you know, people who were like, listen, I watch this show every week with my family. You know, we rarely have an opportunity to talk about like values on TV or like value, like just like how to like, you know, use it as a parenting moment. I think you know, that still happens a lot with Survivor, I think. And, and like, you know, I, people who were like, you know, I got notes from people who were like, I was feeling kind of blue and depressed and like, you just feel like, oh my God, like this was, this was cool. Like this felt like maybe I did something and that, that whatever regret I might've had in the, in the hours afterwards. And I actually, I don't remember being, I actually don't regret it at all. And didn't then. Um, but anything like when you're like, man, I, I just gave away a million bucks. I, uh, they just went away. It just, I just ended up feeling like totally the right move. I don't know if that answered your question, but <laughs> you you did, and I I want to tell you I talked to uh, Stephanie Lagrosa Kendrick. Oh yeah, and uh, the first thing when I asked when I said your name, she said I freaking love Ian, and so <laughs> she Stephanie actually says she could have gone at least sixteen hours. Oh, yeah. on that I, challenge. I, I think there's I actually think there's only a couple people on the show that season that could have gone the distance in that that regard. Uh, Tom was one. I was another. Stephanie was another. Um, yeah, and and what had nothing to do with like how like how much you could bench. Like at that point, we were on uh, on the on the island for what thirty nine days, uh, uh, thirty eight days at that point. And no, I think it was thirty nine. And uh, and uh, honestly, like there's like at that point, it was uh, totally mental. And Steph had it. Steph and me and Tom and Katie and Greg. I don't know if anybody remembers Greg. He was actually on sure, our Greg season. Carey. Yeah. <laughs> He was always in the background, um, and he was, he always played second fiddle to Jen, who was way cooler and way nicer than him. And I miss Jen every day. Um, but uh, we all we all have a text message chain, and um, we we especially during COVID, we we zoomed a couple times and, and chatted. And like you know, Stephanie, all those people, they just have the goods. They're just really amazing people, and and it has nothing to do with how far they can run or you know how much they lift. So, Ian, let's let's pretend you and Tom are in the finals because Tom beat Katie six to one. I think Kobe gave uh, Katie that one vote. I think I was going to ask who who voted for Katie six to one. All right, got it. I think it was Kobe, but Kobe said that he loved. She said during the game, I loved him, meaning you, and he also said that he thought you were the true mastermind working uh, with him and Tom against each other. And that you deserve more credit for it. Well, so that's very nice of that, to say. So with, with um, that being said, let's, how many votes do you think you would have gotten if it had been you and Tom? Uh, if it had been me and Tom, I, that's a great question. I think I'd have gotten... Uh, hold on. Let me just think about who was on my tribe. All right. I'll give you the jury. Yeah. Hey, Ian, I'll yeah, give you, you give the jury name. And I'll say yes or no. All right, Kobe. All right, hey Rob, you count them up because I can't multitask. You count them up, Kobe. I think he'd have voted for me. I think. I think. Janu. Okay. Yeah. Janu. 
Janu would have voted the same way Kobe voted. Stephanie? Uh, I think Stephanie would have voted Tom. Greg? Uh, I think Greg, Greg goes Tom. Jen? Jen Tom. Karen? I think Karen would have voted for me. Katie? I think Katie would have voted for me. Who, Who wins? Win? Who wins, Rob? Wow, yeah, you win. Uh, see, I, I think that Karen is the one that I feel Karen's like... Karen's the swing vote. I yeah. know, Karen's the swing vote. You know... Because on I, the show, I think it, it, it was presented like uh, that she was like loyal to Tom. Uh, yeah. Karen, we could do a whole episode on Karen. Uh, she's, a, she's an interesting... I actually think she maybe had you know, a little like, you know, crush on Tom. Uh, but... I mean, I think a lot of people I, yeah. did, not just on your season. I certainly did. I yeah. mean, look, I gave him a million dollars for him. Um, <laughs> I, I think, uh, yeah, I, I think that, that, yeah, I think you're right. I think Karen, that, that could have swung either direction. Um, but it, who knows? And I, but, but it wouldn't have mattered anyway, because I would have taken, I wouldn't have taken Tom. <laughs> you know, I, I, you right, know I love him to death, but I, I would have taken Katie. And, and. I, you know, I don't know how it would fall with Katie. Uh, I know that, 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 uh, Kate, so Kobe was right. Like we, Katie and Tom and I, and Kobe, we kind of ran the game from, from our, our, uh, beach and we didn't have to deal with a lot of the bullshit that comes along with getting people voted out. So we had all the time in the world to kind of play, take our time, you know, really dig in and we weren't losing people. So it was all about like, who's going to join us from that tribe. You know, what are we going to, how is that going to change the dynamic? And then the best piece of advice that I would ever give anybody who ever goes on the show is like, shut your mouth, like go get some food. And this is both things before the game changed, but like shut your mouth, go get some food. And, and whenever somebody messes it out, messes up, just quietly point it out to everybody. Like, that's it. That's the whole game. <laughs> I went in thinking everybody's gonna be super smart. And this was going to be like a big, like, you know, game theory, you know, uh, deal. And it wasn't, it was just like quietly point out when somebody messes up and they go home next. It's like that straightforward. And, uh, and then just play the numbers. You just continually make sure that like you play the numbers and, and that was it. And I think that, uh, I think that the game, we had a lot of advantages because we won so many of those team challenges. Mm Mm-hmm. So, Ian, uh, Katie said if it had been you two in the final two, she would have only gotten one vote. Do you know who she said she would have gotten the one vote from? Uh, that's a great question. Jen. Nope. Karen. She says she thinks she'd have gotten one vote. Oh, because Karen, Karen that's, that, that's, like, respected her game. I, maybe. Yeah, that makes total sense. I have no idea. Karen's a total live wire. She's a 50-50 coin. Hey, I love what you were saying about playing the game. Just go get food and gather food because Katie was saying that you were the gatherer, that you were the gatherer. You kind of acted like the absent-minded professor out there, but you would go and gather food and that you had cargo shorts that you wore and that Katie said she slept. She said she slept between you and Tom and there was this, yeah. just this horrible smell every night. And then she oh, realized, <laughs> do you know where I'm going with this? Do no, you know where I'm going go with ahead. this, Ian? I okay. Don't. <laughs> there was this, there was this horrible smell. 
she realized that you were going out gathering food oh, yeah. and you would gather you were gathering snails and clams and you would bring some back for for everybody and then you keep some for yourself in your pockets oh, that you would forget yeah. about and and then they would be in your pockets just smelling up i guess when y'all were when y'all were all three sleeping together yeah, that's right. We were all on that platform. I, I don't remember leaving things in my pocket, but I don't put it past me. That made, that sounds like vintage me. Uh, I would say that I did, I did feel like my strength was going to be swimming, get, being on the water, hunting. Those were all going to be things I was going to be good at. And I was actually really worried. A couple of challenges, I was super worried that I was going to... I actually was worried that I was going to... As we started getting into it, and there was, I, it, just like, it was the perfect season for me because uh, it was all about but it was all about water. And I was just like, I mean, look, I, I, my job was on the water. Like I swam every single day. So like I could hold my breath for forever. I could swim for forever. I, you know, I was, you know, new knots and new sailing and new all that stuff. So like, I just like, I just remember feeling very much like that. And I remember taking people out, I would go hunting. And my big worry was when I would go hunting that my, you know, you guys both know this, like the second you're away from the group is the, is an opening mm-hmm. for somebody to talk about you. So I just remember always being like, if I'm going to go... I think that guy's go, putting I'm... snails in his pocket and not sharing them yeah, with exactly. us. Exactly. <laughs> that would explain that smell. I would sit out there with Tom on the reef. There was a reef maybe like 30 or 40 yards offshore that you could sit, sit on and stand up on. I would sit out there with Tom on the reef. reef. We would hunt for snails, clams, all that stuff. We'd bring them up. We'd eat them there. And we'd, while we were hunting for everybody else, we'd, we'd eat. And we'd sit there and talk about who's going to go home next. And like, that's kind of how we played the game. It was like, he and I would go out there and do our thing. And then, and that's where we hit it off. Like it was summer camp. You know, we would, we, we were, we both loved to hunt. We both like were, you know, really big nerds. And, and, and so we hit it like Tom and I are, I still, Tom and I are kindred spirits. You know, I love the guy to death. He's one of my favorite people on the planet. In the show that it was portrayed like you and Tom were having some friction as things got close to the end game. Was that a real thing or was that sort of really amped up by the production? Uh, there, so here's what's funny. I don't know what Tom said, um, but I would say that it was for me, I don't think we asked from, my, I, from my perspective, it was very real. Like it felt, it felt like the world was coming down on top of me, you know, like again, like immature, like not, not sure, like how the the way the world actually worked. And like the, it it just felt very, very real. And I actually think that like Tom knew that, like Tom knew that I was uh, like where I was in life. And and I think he, I think as soon as he saw that opening, he definitely knew kind of how to press his hand onto the wound, you know, Mm -hmm. like he really like knew how to do that. And like to his credit, like he should have, he wanted to win the game. So, you know, that was a weakness, I think, of mine is that like, I really, you know, I, I really treated that bond with a lot of like, you know, I, I think he was, you know, fraternal, paternal, whatever you want to say, like, like, he, he like that, I, I it was took it very, very seriously. And I think Tom did too. But I also think he realized like, look, I got a wife and kids at home, like I got mm-hmm. a to put on the house, I got, you know, all the things to do. And, and I think that, you know, he, he, he is the age, he was the age then almost the age that I am now. And I think that, uh, you know, he just knew how to do that. But I, at the time it was real. Like it did feel, I don't feel like they played it up at all. Really. Mm-hmm. But like it was actually like that. This is fun, by the way. Oh, good. I haven't talked about this stuff in a long time. Good. So Ian, I want to find out. Um, I think I read that you were 
thought about or cast for heroes versus villains or in the running for that and in the running for Cambodia. Um, can you tell us if you would play again? So they have asked, uh, I would say they've asked me three times. Yeah. And I have said no. Um, and they're the best. Uh, and I thought Penny Lane Clifton is yes. was kind of was my contact on casting. And so uh, she called. I love Penny Lane. Love yeah, her. I love her. I love her. She really is one of the sweetest. And I, a lot of people, I don't know if people know, but her mom is actually the, was, I don't yes. know if she still is the psychologist yes. on the show. Um, Dr. Laz. And yes, uh, who are, they're both just lovely people. And so she would call and I would get a call. I would say probably every couple, every year, every couple of years or so. And there were a couple of times when, um, one, I was like, I was breaking up with an old girlfriend and, you know, they were like, would you guys be interested in coming on together? And we talked about it and I was like, man, let's do it. So this like, must've been blood versus water. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. So this um, is season 27. Okay, cool. Uh, there was another time before that. They Wait, had so you asked, said, but you said that the, uh, girlfriend said, uh, she was, she was, she was down. She was interested. I remember, I don't remember how broke this all up. went down. We broke up. Okay. And, and then I just remember someone being like, if, uh, I, somebody called me, it was like, if there was like a ring or there was like something here, like, you know, would, would you, is that something you guys would think? And I was like, no, like, I don't think this is going to, like, I don't know if this is going to work. What do you mean if there was a ring? Are they saying that like, they would have paid for an engagement ring for no, free? No, 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 nothing like that. Yeah. No, 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 of course not. No. But like, if they, if they were like, well, how serious are you? essentially oh okay and like they're like well how how badly do you want to play because if you put a ring on it well right uh, and and i was like yeah and i was like i'm not (laughs) so i'm not yeah i'm not there um and then there were two other times where they were like look we we were we're at it we would love if you came back um you know here's what's go here's the situation would you be interested here's the timing Mm -hmm. and it honestly was all after haiti um, and, yeah. and, and so I was in a place where I was like, I have this new life. And then at one point I had just, my wife and I had, were ju- had just gotten engaged yeah. and, um, they were like, you know, it's going to be 40 days and this, that, and the other. And I just, you know, those three times, it just, it always felt like, it always felt like the chapter had turned, you know? And, yeah. and, uh, it was, it was time for something new. Now I did say to them, listen, I, w- and I still would be, I think that there is a, I would de- I would definitely do it again. If there was like a final season or like a, yeah, like a, I would, I would love to come back and play the way that at the age that Tom was when he won. I think that would be super That's fun. That's an interesting story. But let me ask you um, though, how yeah. much have you kept up with the show? Did you, like, did you watch it when Ethan came back this past season? No. Uh, I watched just on like his Twitter and Instagram yeah. and like I, I, he and I talk probably once every couple of weeks. Because so Ian, I, would just, I have to say, I'm not sure you would love it right now. I heard it's kind of shitty. Uh, I don't want to say that. <laughs> it's for, you know, some yeah. people, you know, it, it's very, very fast paced. Uh, lots of advantages. The, you know, it, it's the game that you played, but it is like, uh, twice as fast as, and on steroids. Well, and when I say shitty, I don't mean like, like the show itself is. I mean, like, like the experience from a castaway's perspective 
I, like you know, Ethan Express. Like yes. it's, he he called me and he's like, it's just totally different. Well, like, he lives on the edge, on the edge of extinction, uh, which okay. was uh, sort of like I a, heard about that. Yeah. yeah, that that and that was a very punishing experience. I think the experience for the players in the game probably less punishing than what you went through in Palau, but the gameplay is uh, highly, highly accelerated. Um, I have heard that. Yeah, and I, you know, if you remember too, our season. I think was the last, uh, I call it pure, like old mm-hmm. school, I guess. Because J- if you remember, Janu got sent away yes. and lived on an island by herself for a couple of days. And I think that was the birth of Redemption Island. Yeah, Exile Island. Um, yeah. Or, sorry, Exile Island. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and then I think the next season they had, uh, you know, hidden idols and all that stuff. And we didn't have any of that. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just like, it really felt like, you know, summer camp. It was like summer camp. Yeah. Other than the fact of like losing 40 pounds. You know, but, not to mention they didn't switch the tribes. It was basically, you know, very yeah. much a straight shot. Like you had like that uh, twist on day one, but overall it right. was, very you know, very, yeah, very straightforward. Uh, would you guys have liked it? I, that to me did never held a lot of appeal. Like the, the gameplay was always interesting, but like I was kind of in it for like the, the views like i loved the like the the where it was like the kind mm-hmm. of robinson crusoe aspect to it i know rob i seem to remember that you were like you were the you were kind of the original gameplay master like oh well uh, let's not get too carried yes, away but yes. uh, uh but, you know, i mean i like right. i, I like the game but i think that a lot of t- the way it works now it's a it's almost that uh it's kind of it can be random at times of that there Got is it. a lot of there are just a lot of advantages and superpowers that are available in the game and where you know you can sort of like uh, from a strategic standpoint if if you know you know all of the rules of the game that's one thing but it's just it's so random and so crazy and i think that the show loves the chaos cuz it's action but i think that th- i wish that they would walk it back a little bit because it's just too off the wall like a movie that has like a ton of explosions but not right. a ton it's of like story Right, it's become like a Jerry Bruckheimer film, not like a mm-hmm. Martin Scorsese film. <laughs> right, right. And I think that we would have excitement with just, you know, uh, great gameplay. I don't know if we need all the explosions. Well, uh, it would be cool. I mean, I'm sure there's some retro way of doing that. But like, uh, you know, I, 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 I would be, I guess there's two ways to look at it. Like on one side of it, being naive to all of that and not knowing how all that works, and what those advantages are, I think can be a strength. And on the other side of it, like, you know, it could be a major weakness, like not knowing how other people mm-hmm. played in the past and that history. And I don't, you're right. Like, I don't know. That doesn't, I think you like could catch up to it. I just wonder if your heart yes. would be in it to be yeah, in, right. like, this is not the game that I knew and loved. I did. I did. I mean, I talked to Ethan um, and I remember he did say like, it was just different. He's like, it was a totally different beast. And, mm-hmm. and, and Tom even said the second time it, yeah. he went back uh, and he said, it, it really was just a whole different different thing in yeah yeah well to speak yeah. to uh you know that particular part of it that uh, it sounds like you know in talking with you and talking with ethan and and tom that and 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 t-bird i know you feel this way also that a big part of the first time that people played was the camaraderie of the bond of that you know because that the so much of the game was sort of like overcoming the uh physical adversity in addition to Together. figuring yeah. out figuring out the game really bonded you to the people 
people that you're with. I don't think that that's a big part of the modern day Survivor game one because it's so fast paced and cutthroat and they mix up the tribe so much that I don't think that you often see too many people from the modern game that walk away saying that our hearts were connected. Yeah, I, <laughs> that's right. I, I, I mean, I could totally, I totally agree with all that. I feel like, uh, I feel the camaraderie was like the my favorite part of the, of the whole experience. And and to that extent, even with the people you couldn't talk to, like producers that were on the beach, yeah. like you know the camera people, like the the, the I remember we would walk, you know, you do the walkthrough before each challenge, and we would, you know, we get the chance to do the safety check, and we'd just be in awe of Jeff and his crew, mm-hmm. like the people, like the way they built those challenges, like. I know that that's, you know, that's all changed. And, and they, you know, those were like, those were, they were serious. Like it was serious, serious stuff back then. And that was so appealing to me. Like that whole thing that this could be a life that somebody had, um, with even just like putting a show together like this was really, really interesting. Um, and I remember after the whole thing was done, like how close, in, you know, especially like Stephanie, Jen, Katie, me, Tom, Greg, like we were, you know, we stayed close. Um, and it just always felt like the show had moved to somewhere else. Um, and, and that's okay. Uh, you know, I think the world's moved to someplace yeah. else. You'd almost look back at that time and be like, man, like the United States was a different place yeah. back then too. Ironically, uh, the show doesn't move to someplace else anymore either. That they, All the seasons are in Fiji. No kidding. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, uh, that's amazing. I wonder if I, well, I just get I mean, if I'm pro, I just have a house there now. Right? Yeah, I, I think that's kind of what he does. He does. Let me ask you something. My, I, really quick to you, bro. A quick story. My, yeah. my mom, yeah. when she came to the Survivor finale, she hung out with Jeff's, Jeff's mom. I don't know if Jeff's mom, yes. and she's still around, but, but uh, Jeff's mom he came to the finales too. And my mom and Jeff's mom really hit it off. And my, my Because the finales used to always be on Mother's Day. Oh, there you go. All right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so uh, they hit it <laughs> off and my mom comes back and being like, there's this guy that you need to meet. His, his name's Jeff and he was from Kansas and he played baseball. I'm like, mom, you're talking about the host of this show. <laughs> <laughs> and like, she didn't like realize that like it was, you know, probes. Uh, I, I, you guys talk to him. How's he doing? <laughs> I think he's okay. We don't talk to him uh, too, too often. Your mom watched the whole season of the show and then she ran into Jeff Probst at the finale well, and didn't know he was no, the host of the she show? Ran out, she ran into Jeff Probst's mom. Oh, at the okay. She talked to Jeff Probst's mom. And like, mom. with his mom. And, yeah, and, and like, she talked. told about my son. Oh, my son is from <laughs> yeah. Kansas. And he, and, yeah. yeah, right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So, Ian, let me ask you about this because I know you talked to Ethan about Winners at War. Of course, that was the last season, season 40 with all winners. Now, Tom Westman was not contacted for Winners at War, he told us, but Probe said early on that uh, Tom was one of the, their greatest winners ever. Probe said. Uh-huh. What do you think about what do you think about Tom not being contacted for Winners at War as well as as well as you know him? Oh, that's a great question. I don't know why they didn't contact him. I'm sure they had their reasons. Um, you know, he's totally like the accents fake, you know, the whole deal. Like <laughs> oh, he's, he's a just fraud? a big Yeah, he's a total fraud. Uh so you know, he's actually from he's actually from Scranton. He doesn't say that to many people, but uh, yeah, yeah. And he, he wasn't a firefighter, he was a paramedic. Um and he wasn't a nine eleven. He was actually nine thirteen. It was a different year, it's a whole thing. Uh no, he's uh Tom's a hero, right? Mm-hmm. Like straight up. It like there is no question about it. He he uh in the purest sense of the word, you know, word, I got the chance after the show 
um, to go to New York City for the St. Patrick's Day Parade. Yeah. in 2005 and and i remember getting in big trouble because we weren't supposed to be hanging out he told us the story yeah okay yeah mm-hmm. same same and 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 you know that day getting the chance to see him and his element with the guys from the from the department and the, the just like what it was like a magical new york moment like just to, to be able and i you know i'm a my wife and i get ready back to move back to new york i, I lived in new york for 10 years after the show i, I i'm in you know for all intents and purposes would consider myself at this point a new yorker and um, and, and I, it was, you know, Tom's played a huge part in that for me and just like falling in love with the city. And so in terms of him getting invited back, you know, maybe it's cause he played, maybe it's not, but I, you know, I like to think that they probably thought that the real reason they didn't invite him back was cause the guy that really masterminded that show was named Ian and they could have invited him, but he had not won. <laughs> <laughs> hey Ian, I, listen to this. See if you remember this. You were reading a book in Palau before the game started that yeah. caught some of your castmates' eye. Do you remember the book you were reading? No idea. Uh, wait a second. Hold on. I was that reading? Was it Lord of the Flies? Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. it was. I, yeah, I was. Yeah, and I, I, I didn't, I didn't realize that I was reading it in public. Uh, that people knew, but I, I like to think that I thought I was being pretty sly by being like, Haha, like mm-hmm. I'm going to show this off, but I didn't remember yeah. that I had it. In, I read it in public. Ian, did you have what? any pregame takeaways from sizing up the other people that you're going to be playing with that you went into the game with a preconceived notion of somebody? I mean, you talked about casting. Yeah. 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 I'm thinking there. Um, you know, there, I remember there being like a couple versions of each archetype in Los Angeles. Like, mm-hmm. I remember there being a Tom, and and maybe there those people went on to like to play. Like, it could very be very possible that like Terry Dietz was also yeah, there yeah. when I met. You know, like like there is a Tom. They always have a Tom. There's you know sometimes an Ian. There's a Katie. Like they all kind of always have those. And I remember feeling like that. Um, but like I don't remember a, a ton of other people. I mean. You know, you always remember the characters because just because they stand out. So I do remember James. I remember Willard, mm-hmm. um, like those folks. But but no, I mean you size people up all the time. But but you know, you're not you're not you weren't allowed to talk to them. Then there's no contact before. I don't know if that's changed. But like um, also like I had not really I didn't really know a lot about the show, so I actually didn't really know what I was sizing up. Um, so it wasn't until like three or four days in when we watched all the episodes, and I was like, oh you know, this is a, like, I got to kind of get my shit together here. I also remember during casting, always feeling like if I'm going to get on this thing, like in this final countdown, I have to, every time I go in front of the producers, I have to do something that they remember. Like, that's just like, if I'm going to approach this as like, you know, what it is like. So I would always come up with some sort of weird phrase or catch or something that I would say when I was talking to them. And I do remember feeling like very much like the producers were trying to size me up. And I remember looking at, you know, seeing Probst and Burnett still sat in on, on those casting decisions, I guess then, I don't know if he still does and the other producers. And I remember them very much trying to like push my buttons, but and size me up. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but what I they remember, say to you? Uh, you, you know, I, I turns out I got it way kinder than some other people. I remember mm-hmm. Tom, I think Tom almost got into a push up contest with, with uh, with somebody, either Probst or Burnett, but like I actually, in hindsight, now I kind of felt like I kind of had it sewn up by the time we got to the finals. Like mm-hmm. by the time we got to the, because I I didn't really get too many softballs, but like they would always ask me like, "Will you hook up?" 
they ask me all the time, like, like, uh, can you really handle this? Like, what do you think? You know, you're 23 years old. You're really, you know, really dolphin. Like they would always ask like just stupid challenging questions. And like, I, I'm sure it was all just like, let's see how he reacts. And if he's actually mm-hmm. a crazy person. And I actually think at that time, maybe it's changed, but like they were looking for crazy people. So like, you just want to give just enough crazy yeah. that, you know, he'll be a great, great character, but he won't burn the set down. I also think that they do want to see, like, I think that, you know, people have talked about like different, like inflammatory questions that they ask. I, I think they want yeah. to see what happens if they, ra- if they rattle your cage uh, to s- some degree. But like at the same time, like, I don't know, I, I was lucky enough to know that this was all a big game at that time. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like it, it, at least until I got out into the show and I totally lost my shit, and, <laughs> you know, thought it was this huge, massive real life thing. Um, but like at that time, I was like, thought, you know, enough where I was like, oh, like I get what they're doing here. Like this is an audition. Right. So just like mm-hmm. play the role and like move on and like get on the show and then you can figure the rest out. T-Bird, do you have a game for Ian today? Oh, indeed. Hey, let me, let me, yes, I do. And I also want to ask you, so Ian, I know you didn't watch the first few seasons, but were you familiar with the car curse even after you came on? I did hear about it. I did hear about it. And I, believe me, so many fans have let me know about it since. Um, <laughs> okay. But, but uh, I, I do think, yeah, uh, quick, uh, maybe Tom told the story too, because we, we end up telling each other stories all the time. But the most romantic moment for me of that entire year on the show or off <laughs> just happened to be with Tom Westman <laughs> because I won that car and I took him on, you know, they, I think they designed that challenge. You're going to win the car. You're going to take, you know, there's always some romance there at the uh, at the end. And like, we didn't really have any romances. Like it was Greg and Jen, but Greg didn't win anything. And, uh, and, and so, so, and, and Jen didn't either. So I, you know, I won the car and I think they were hoping for me to take, you know, Katie or take, you know, a girl. And then I was like, Oh, I'll, I'll take Tom. <laughs> mm-hmm. So like, there's this shot of the two of us driving across the Karor bridge in Palau. And it's like, you know, it's the sun setting. I'm in like a Corvette <laughs> Tom mm-hmm. at my side. And, uh, it's a and cool just, car. Um, yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. like we walked into the room. Uh, we stayed in this, you know, really beautiful house. And uh, we looked in the, you know, in the bathroom. I was like, oh, look, they got his and his bathrobes in here. <laughs> and uh, Tom, Tom Westman was my, uh, was my romantic moment for, uh, for Palau. All right. So I do have a game for you, but, but I've got to tell him this, uh, Rob. So uh, Ethan was telling me about the romantic massage you had in Zambia. Whoa. With Scott. Whoa. So yes, that's so that funny. It looks like you have two romantic moments. I did. Romantic moments. Yeah. I, uh, Ethan and I went to Zambia after uh, with some other friends and Jenna too went to Zambia after, uh, after our ultra marathon. And, uh, yeah, we went to Victoria falls and there was this place there after the run that we all got, we all got mis- like on the, on the river massages, uh, like crocodiles, like elephants, you know, wading through the river. Um, and we just like, you know, we, uh, it was like, again, one of the more romantic moments I've ever had. And it was with Ethan and Tom. <laughs> All right, uh, here we go. Here is the, all right, Ian. This is much anticipated game that that the fans love. Well, actually, I think I'm the only one that likes this game. <laughs> hashtag, hashtag. Here we go. <laughs> hashtag. Who said that? All right. So you already know. I've talked to some of your castmates, people that know you for for the interview today. Okay, all right. So all right. I'm going to give you three adjectives that people have described. Now you already know this is this is a sample because I in the intro I said that this particular person said you're innovative, resilient, and adventurous. Now, you might not have been listening to my intro because Rob doesn't either. He just kind of mutes it till I finish. <laughs> I but heard it you, several times. Do you remember who? 
All right. Do you remember who said that about you in the uh, intro? I, I uh, no. Uh, was it uh, was it uh, was it Ethan? It was Ethan. Okay. Now. This might take longer than I thought, Rob. All right. So Ethan said innovative, resilient, and adventurous. All right. I'm going to give you the people. I talked with Stephanie, Kobe, Katie, and Tom. Okay. Now, this, this one person said you were loyal, funny, and kind-hearted. You uh, want to guess? You ready? Either Stephanie, dad. Kobe, Katie, or Tom. Stephanie. Yes. All right. Okay. The next one said... Jovial, ambitious, and enigmatic. I had to look oh, that God. word up. I'm not kidding you. And it, just for the p- listeners that aren't sure what enigmatic means, it means difficult to interpret, mysterious. Okay. Jovial, <laughs> ambitious, or enigmatic. I have no idea. Uh, Kobe. Right, either. Yes. You're two for two. Okay. Next person, tenderhearted, genius, intellectually, and emotionally, and hilarious. Oh, God. Uh, whoever that is, I want to be friends with them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you already are. Oh, you already are. Is it, is is it great? She's Greg? crazy. She's, she's crazy about you. Oh, is it Katie? Yes. All right. All right. Last one. You should know the last one. He right. said genuine, genuine convivial. I had to look this word up too. Genuine, convivial, and adventurous. And by the way, convivial, for those that don't know that, means cheerful, friendly, and jovial. I don't have any idea. Uh, you had a romantic... You, no, you had a romantic encounter with him in your Chevrolet Corv- Corvette. Oh, was it Tom? Tom, all right. Yes! <laughs> it was Tom, of course. Awesome. That's great. <laughs> all right, Rob, that went smoother than I thought it would. Yes. Okay. <laughs> all right, there you go. All right, Ian... Uh, Thank you for making so much time to uh, talk to us. I know that uh, y- your daughter has been uh, running a fever and you still had time to uh, talk to T-Bird and I about uh, a whole bunch of stuff from very long ago. So thank you so much, Ian. It's my pleasure. And I apologize. I have to hop off and no, change a diaper. So no, I'm no gonna- worries. Uh, you, thank, <laughs> thank you for spending so much time with us. Do you want to give a quick plug of anything that uh, you're doing? Yes, please. Um, if anybody wants to come and, and check out what we're up to now, you can check out the work at www.dayowl.com. Um, we sell backpacks made of trash from the countries that we serve. Um, the, the bags can come back to you after they're, after they're finished. We sell them again, um, completely recycled, and, and we put people to work while we do it. And they're really also really amazing um, looking. So dayowl.com, and you can check us out at, at, at Hello Day Owls um, on Insta and all the other social okay. media platforms. Ian, so great to talk to you. All right, go take care of that diaper, okay? All right, thanks, guys. Ian, all right, take care, and thank, thank you so you much. Thank you so much, right. Ian. Take care. Bye. Okay. Thank all you. Right. Bye. Bye. Okay, all right. He had to go, T-Bird. Yes. Well, we had him for we had him for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's, that was great. That was especially with it's one of my favorites. Yeah, I was gonna say we had him for a long time, considering he had a one year old in the background. I think that went really smoothly. Right, oh my gosh! Right? Isn't he amazing? Yeah. No, he was. Isn't uh, he great amazing? To talk to. You know, it's funny because again, talking to people about him and you could hear it. I mean, I didn't know anything about Ian yeah. other than what I saw so, watching him, but he does have a great, wicked, wicked, wonderful sense of humor, just like Katie. Yeah. Just T-Bird, like Katie does. The thing that I'm noticing here is so many of the people that we've talked to here on talking with T Bird seem like, boy, 
these are, you know, some of the best people that have come through Survivor. And I wonder, here's my thesis for you, T-Bird, that the people who are the best people, that they go do Survivor and then you don't hear from them because they go on with their lives to go on and do other things. Whereas the people who have never gone away are maybe not the people who are like the humanitarians making a difference in our world. Well, I mean, I, I think we've, I think we've talked about this. I mean, yeah, that's, a, that's a good point. I mean, I like, like even talking with Keith Famey, which I mean, that was really an eye opener for all the amazing stuff yeah. he's doing. He didn't use it as a jump start. He just kind of did like, like Ian, just kind of part of his life. Mm -hmm. So, and you know, it's funny too with, with Ian. You know, he says his 23-year-old self, if he had won the million dollars, would he have moved into all this amazing, beautiful, life-changing things he's doing for the people of Haiti and just all the, the wonderful work he's doing? So, you know, I believe your path, it's kind of like I said when I first introduced him about all past life experience, whether they're successes or failures, however you want to consider them, mm -hmm. leads you through the path or your journey that takes you to who you are. So I don't know. It's really, again, it makes me want to work even harder to find these people that are so obscure. And boy, there are a few that are really obscure um, to talk with them and, and see what they're doing now. Mm. Okay, I got a quick question for you. I got a quick couple of quick questions yeah, for you. Okay, it? I can't help it. So we quickly, I quickly mentioned to Ian the car curse um, because since he hadn't been watching it, I wasn't sure if he was going to be familiar. But you, Mister Rob, that knows Survivor everything. Okay, the car curse. Yeah. Here's a couple of questions I want to ask you about. Four questions. First question was, well, this is, should be easy. What car did Ian win? What like car? the make and the model of it? Well, it's kind of, a, it stands out with all the different people that have won cars. Okay, I'll ask you this. How many seasons did they have the car curse? How many seasons? So, Like a number? Yep. Um, I don't know. Uh, uh, 13. Yes! Oh my God! How did you know that? 13! Well, I think that's that really, impressive. they ended with, uh, <laughs> with dreams. And so they didn't have it in the first one. So that's oh my that gosh. Was my okay, I'm impressed. All right. So, all right. Who was informed of the car curse and had the option to give away to four other castaways a car, but did not give the others a car, kept it themselves? Cindy Hall. Who was it? Yes. And what did she play? What season? In Guatemala. Yes! Oh my God! Okay, next one. Okay, that was all right. I'm really impressed. All right, so the type car that Ian won. Remember, he was going with Tom. It was kind of a different car than than these others. Yeah, was, he said it was a convertible. I I, I don't know. Corvette. It was a red, a red car. It was a red car. It, right? Okay, a Chevrolet Corvette. Yeah. Wow, I thought you you're a guy. I figured you'd remember that. Okay, now the last one is who made a deal but later had the deal broken. Who made a deal but had the deal broken? Who made a deal with their, Regarding with their the car? Yao Man? Yes. 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 Oh, my God. I just, I'm impressed right there. Okay, that's very good. And also, this is my last thing. I know we're, we're wrapping it up here. 
my last one about is about heights. And I really want to mention this because I just do. All right. So already mentioned in the intro, Ian, six feet, eight inches. Yeah. There were three other people taller than him. Do you know who they were? Who the tallest was? <sighs> yeah. I, I think it's M- Mitchell. Yes. And so then seven feet. I would say uh, our basketball players, uh, Scott Pollard. Uh-huh. Six and RIP uh, Cliff Robinson. R.I.P. Cliff Robinson at 6'10 from Cagayan. Yes. Yes. So, absolutely, that was great. And then, of course, there was, let's see, Steve Wright, 6'6 from Redemption Island, and then Ken Stafford, 6'5 from Thailand. Rob, way to go. And yeah. yes, let's, I'll yes, just I know say everything that again. about the car curse. Yes. And, and uh, it was really, really sad news to hear about Cliff Robinson this week. So, you know, much love to his family mm. at this at this very challenging, I'm sure, and very difficult time. He was a young guy. I think he was just 53, Rob. I know. I know. It's very, very, very sad. Yeah. So anyway, but it would, anyway, what a great time talking to Ian. What an amazing yeah. guy. I know. Uh, what great an amazing job, guy. Uh, by Ian. And great job by you, T-Bird, uh, to track down another person on your hit list. Uh, no, it's it's our it's our hit our list. Our hit list. Because if it because if it was my hit list, I could just call anybody at any time. I wouldn't have to go through you. Okay, I had to say it, but you know I love you anyway. Okay, all right, T Bird, great work once again. Thank I know you'll be you, back Rob. on the hunt after this for another episode of Talking yes. to T Bird. People can find you on the Twitter and Instagram at T Bird Cooper. Yep. There you go. Let T-Bird know who you're looking for. See who she can track down next for our next edition of Talking with T-Bird. Of course, uh, all of this podcasting is powered by the patrons of Rob Has a Podcast. Uh, If you want to find out more about everything we're doing, our patron-only podcast feed, you can head on over to robiswebsite.com slash patron. T-Bird, great job. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Bye. Thank you, Rob. Bye.